Welcome to On The Journey, stories for leaders and aspiring leaders. This is your host, Leo Rodriguez. I'm very excited about bringing you a little preview of what this podcast is all about. Behind it, there is a very simple idea, and it is to give you an honest inside view into the experiences of leaders who are in the trenches that are executing and deploying high levels of leadership today, just like you and me. On the Journey is a platform for them to share and for you to learn how they are traversing that journey. And I want to do this by exploring specifically their transition points, whether they were an account executive or an individual contributor and they moved into a leadership role for the first time, or as they progressed into higher levels of leadership in their careers. Through honest, no-holds-barred conversation, I will explore their motivations, their preparation, their mindset, who their mentors were, frameworks, mistakes, thoughts, and advice. So you can put them into action on your own journey. If you're a leader or an aspiring leader, you have a first row seat to my guest experience, almost like if you can join me and together we can pick the brains. So are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to On The Journey. Enjoy. Welcome to season one, episode six of On The Journey, stories for leaders and aspiring leaders. This is Leo Rodriguez, your host. And you're going to have to forgive me today. I'm descending from a super high. It was a great, great day today on a couple of counts. The first one is episode six was my goal for the year to launch the podcast. And I set myself a date of July and I hit it in April. So I'm very excited that I hit episode six. It doesn't sound like a lot for me it is because I do this in my personal time. And it's actually the milestone for me to launch the podcast. So I'm very excited. And the second count is even more important because I got to do and record episode six with one of my top 10 favorite people, like all the, the guests in this podcast, which is Stacy Moser. Stacy and I worked together at GE during my very brief period there. Uh, it was sad because it was a brief period and I started to report to her late in the game. But Stacy is quite a treat. She has a very long history as a leader. She's an engineer, uh, but also a leader. And I like she talks about her as being a competitive engineer and trying to solve problems competitively. She's currently the chief commercial officer for GE at Digital Grid, at GE Bernova. But she held leadership roles at Motorola, Texas Instruments, and Tektronics. And it was a great conversation. So uh, a few things of what Stacy shared with me first is how she transitioned into leadership by a tap on the shoulder and all the challenges that that brought with it. She had a, a very rough first few months of that role. She had a lot of opposition from people that reported to her and she was quite open and candid about it. She recognized she needed help. And coming from an engineer, you will be very surprised at what was the personal quality that got her through that process. And she also told me what her mentor at that time, the tips that he gave her, uh, the advice that he gave her to help her go through that time and how she ultimately thrived and accomplished her goals. So great, great story there. Stacy also talks about accidental diminishers, and, and she expounds on that quite a bit, talking about like the B side of your strengths and how that impacts your team and how aware you need to be about it and how 
important it is to focus less on uh, on sort of amplify your own skills, but actually amplifying your people's talents, and they are all different. She also is a, is a lean practitioner, and lean is a very important discipline from the Toyota days, um, sort of continuous improvement, and she explains a little bit and teaches the audience a little bit about what it is and why problem-solving frameworks are so important in today's organization. And finally, not the last thing she shares, but the last thing I'm going to share in this intro is that she got to explain in quite a detail how she sets expectations with her teams. Now she's a she's a second-line leader, and she works with very, very strong leaders. And she talks about two things that I've asked her to go into detail. The first one is clarity on what is expected, and she tells me how she shares that. What is expected? What's her leadership philosophy? How she communicates that continuously? And the second thing that I, she talks to, and this, this is something I, I fell in love when I worked with her, and, and now that she repeated to me, is she talks about excellence in role. So what it looks like uh, being excellent in your role from your values to how you show up to how you execute. There's obviously a metrics component because we are in go-to-market, and that's a very measurable activity, but also excellence in role. So this was a fantastic episode. I hope you enjoyed all of these and much more in this new episode of On the Journey. Enjoy. So welcome, Stacy Moser. It's a real, real treat to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic, Leo. So great to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. Um, we worked together for just a brief period of time, but uh, the reason why I have you here is because I have a great recollection of your experience and the conversations we had when we were working together. And for full disclosure, I reported to you. So we talked a little bit about what this podcast is and is talking to leaders that are in the trenches today, deploying high levels of leadership and, and running teams of all sizes and colors. And the way I typically start this, I highlight a personal thing that I picked up in my relationship with my guests. Mm -hmm. And I'll bring you to a one of the first meetings that that we had together, and and the team was like throwing stuff around. We were talking about a gazillion things. It, we were probably trying to brainstorm around something, and you it was just your first days. And at one point, and you were not saying much, but at one point you stopped and you said, "What problem are we trying to solve?" <laughs> And, and the meeting went absolutely quiet and everybody was like, maybe, maybe we need to backtrack and think a little bit about what are we trying to fix? And I want you to tell me why you asked that question, because I think you asked that question a lot and what's the background around it and any detail that you can give me. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that you, it's funny that you remember that. So I, I think if I recall, I just started uh, in the role. Um, so I was definitely in the the learning and the ramping uh, mode, um, you know, and just trying to get some of my bearings in terms of, you know, what was, what was, you know, the culture of the organization as the org organization function, you know, the operating cadence, as well as the, the, the biggest challenges, but you're right. I, I do do this a lot. And, and as a leader, I think, in fact, there's, there's, there's post-its even sitting on my, on my laptop, because it's a constant reminder that as a leader, our job isn't to dominate the meetings and talk, but to really pull out patterns and help the organization move forward. And in this instance, I'm pretty sure what I was hearing was 
the organization with a whole bunch of different ideas, a whole different paths uh, or potential paths to go pursue to solve some challenges. And what I see a lot of times in these environments with teams, especially with, with you know, commercial teams that are very ambitious type A, they lose sight of actually what's the biggest challenge we're actually trying to, to solve or what is that problem that, that's been eating at us because we've just got so many good things uh, that we wanna go tackle. And so I think that's something that's definitely been built into me. If, if you if you followed any kind of the lean problem solving framework, a lot of that's just trying to take common sense and rigorously apply it to our lives, which is, hey, take a step back. What's the problem? What's the biggest problem that we got to go solve? Because we can tackle thousands of things, but time is our least renewable resource. So, so how do we get after the most important ones? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I, I totally empathize with that because organizations typically get into these problem-solving rabbit holes. And I know you're a very, very uh, strong lean practitioner, and um, hopefully we have a chance to talk about that. And I think it's important. It's, it's important because lean, it, it might be very used where you are right now and some of the organizations you, you've been, but I think the startup and the venture capital sort of... Uh, environment is trying to adopt it but very very good lean and and you're a problem solver in in a very good at it so this podcast is about transition points into leadership and and there is a lot of people hopefully in the in the audience that is looking at their first leadership role or they are transitioning within their own career so I want to take you mentally on a journey on on your first time as a leader in your transition when when was that what was the company so my first, I'd say, real leadership role, uh, where I was given some sort of uh, responsibility over people and projects, I was actually at Texas Instruments. This was probably about 15 years right. ago. Uh, and I was actually in living in France at the time. So all the more oh, challenge wow. in terms of being yeah. a new culture with different mindsets in terms of you know accomplishing things. And what was the inspiration? Was something that you seek to become a leader or it was more of a tap on the shoulder? Did you have a calling that you wanted to respond to or what, what pushed you to be a leader? Yeah, it definitely was um, more of a, more of a tap for me. And I'd say, okay. you know, I don't think I ever went through, you know, school or even my childhood thinking I'm going to be a leader when I grow up. Um, I, I, <laughs> I just didn't have, you know, in my, circle and my family and my network, I, I didn't have a lot of role models that had, you know, taken on big leadership roles. Um, and so, but what I think I did take away from a, at least a lot of, you know, my experiences was um, yes. how to go help people. You know, I grew up like, like a lot of people, ambitious people, you get strong, strong work ethic, you know, you become detail oriented, you know, you, maybe you, you work well under pressure and you think, oh, this is leadership, right? It's like, you know, I just right. do the same thing at a different level. So when I was, when I was tapped for this job, I, I think the first thing I thought was as well, I was tapped because they liked my work ethic and they just want me to do the same thing with more people and drive them hard and execute and deliver results. And I, I soon realized that that was not what leadership was. Uh, maybe it was the reason I was tapped, uh, but it definitely, uh, as I started organizing teams and trying to get work done, I realized very quickly what got me here won't get me there. And that the people aspect was was gonna be, I think a big challenge for me to, to go learn, but something that I wanted to go do. Great, well, I have 
immediately two or three things that we can go for five hours, but I'll try to keep it concise. When you were tapped, was that sudden or you had some time to prepare? What, what was your mind? Like, what, what did you think you had to prepare? A course that you took? Like, how did you get ramped up to, to take on a leadership role? None of that. And I, and I think, uh, I think a lot of leaders might, uh, this might resonate because, you know, a lot of us, I think we get tapped into leadership roles because we're good at what we're doing and no one hands us, it's kind of like parenting in a way. It's, it's like, okay, here's, right, the baby. Exactly, yeah. here's the baby, go take care of it. But it's like, well, where's my training? Where's my book? You know, where's my, my network that's going to support me. But it's kind of like, uh, you get thrown into the deep end and, um, you know, you start, you start swimming or you start sinking pretty quickly. If, uh, if, if you can't grasp onto the basics, um, yeah. So yeah, I didn't have, uh, I, I had some good mentors, Leo, but I definitely didn't have preparation. It was, Hey, next week yeah. you're taking over this project, this team, and we've got a tight deadline and you got to get it done. Oh. Yeah. Try it, try it by fire, sink or swim. It happens to a lot of people. And, and that's part of the experience here to understand, you know, okay. So you didn't have a lot of time to prepare. Mm -hmm. you, you had to jump in with both feet. You mentioned a couple of things that are interesting to me. So you said the people aspect is a, a, a piece that I needed to go learn. And it, it sounds to me like a challenge. Mm -hmm. What, what was challenging around the people aspect? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, at that point, I think it was my first realization that, Hey, guess what? Not everybody is driven the same way that you are. So, um, you know, I, we talk about kind of, you know, my framework of thought, problem solving, curiosity, work ethic. Hey, well, guess what? Everybody, everybody brings different strengths uh, to the table and they may not be the same strengths as yours. And I think that was my first, and maybe I don't think I realized it at the time, you know, hindsight's 2020, but it was my first maybe realization that, hey, my job as a leader was more about helping people reach their full potential than just driving and executing. And then really, how do I go leverage the strengths and the diversity that I have in the team? You know, so those things, you know, we talk about a lot around leadership, you know, how do you give a team the sense of purpose, you know, the belonging and environment where they can form your best. I think I learned a little bit the hard way that all the, the great parts of what I thought I was for the work ethic, you know, the problem solving, the drive, that actually didn't help me as much as a leader as I thought it was going to. Was there something that helped you specifically to make that transition? Because you, you talked about mentors, which is a yeah. common theme mm -hmm. across all my guests. Anything that comes to mind that was a, a, a like a shift for you or, okay. or a moment in time where you said, hmm, right? This is what this is about. Yeah, well, well many. And I'd say maybe it was, you know, you sometimes you learn more from failures or conflict, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, I think the story I would tell is is my probably the the first real conflict I had taking on this role. There, you know, there were a couple of people on the team that you know really challenged me, uh, both from a personality, but also they didn't understand why I was put in charge, right? You know, they didn't. You know, there's always a feeling sometimes based on tenure experience. Obviously, I talked about the culture change. I uh, I was in France. I was learning French, but I, I definitely wasn't fluent yet. And that they undermined me uh, candidly in the role and, you know, escalated yeah. a lot to supervisors, made it very challenging for me to, to do my job and to learn how to go be a leader. 
And I think a lot of times, at least this is true for myself, we think we have to uh, we, we have to kind of protect ourselves from exposures. And, you know, the, my, I remember my immediate concern was, oh, crap, I'm not going to be a, do a, I'm not doing a good job. People aren't following me. I've got all this judgment. Right. The manager is going to fire me from this role. And I think the hardest thing to do and that I learned was to, to ask for help. I had a good mentor, mm. uh, Fabian Jamel. He was my supervisor. And I think he, he, in hindsight, he taught me my first leadership lesson on vulnerability. I remember all this was going on. My first role seemed like my team hated me. And he brought me into the office. And instead of, you know, laying down the line in terms of how I needed to change, he just, he actually just told me a story. And he told me the story about why he wanted me in that role, uh, what he felt like I actually brought to the team. And then he also talked about where he felt he was struggling as a leader and where I complimented mm -hmm. him in terms of mm -hmm. my abilities to actually help him as a leader but then ultimately go help the team in places where he had gaps. And so I actually internalized that and said, well, wow, he's, he's being super vulnerable with me. It was so powerful for me and inspiring for me as a leader. What if I took that out to my team? And instead of telling them what to do and how to do it and when it needs to be done, what if I asked them for help? Like, what if I explained to them the goal of what we were trying to achieve, you know, where I felt I brought my strengths, you know, why I was brought to the team and then ask them to go co-create how we could go get there together based on where they, what they felt like they could bring to the, to the environment and the team. And lo and behold, I mean, it's, you know, obviously a much better approach, uh, got much better results, but it was my, I think the biggest challenge for me was that vulnerability as a leader and really bringing that to my team and, and also not being, you know, scared of even asking my supervisor or others for help saying, Hey, I, I don't have this figured out yet. That was my first big lesson that I that I still remember today. A great, sort sort of great story, and and I I empathize with a lot of things, particularly on when when you become a leader, you feel that you're given the ball and you need to run or run a play or you know keep the ball. The ball is in your hands, and and the aspect of asking for help is is so critically important. And I and I think as a as a sort of society in the workplace, we've evolved quite a bit. It, it was before it was a, a lot harder to be perceived as you don't know what you're doing. So you're asking for help and don't come to me. You, you get a job to do. That's right. Um, I think as, as leaders, are be, both sides have become a lot more um, flexible there. And, and also the fact of vulnerability. I also have, uh, like most of my guests, for, for whatever reason, have been females and they, um, they've highlighted that particular thing, which is the becoming a, a leader, you're very guarded, and then somebody helps you unlock that vulnerability that is so powerful um, yeah. in today. And, you know, also empathize with, uh, you know, taking over a team and and uh, getting getting some challenges. And I think, I think uh, you know, I always say one of my kids like pistachio ice cream. I, I hate pistachio ice cream. I don't, I don't like it at all. And and realizing also accepting that you're not a flavor for everybody. You you shouldn't try to be like some people. It's just going to react the way they're going to react, and you just can't control it. Um, you just need to navigate the best and and focus on the goal. Yeah. So so I, I uh, you you got ahead of a question that I had is just how to establish that credibility with the team. But but very interesting. So yeah. In your job today, 
you said it at the beginning when we were like warming up is like you get hit with so many so many problems like no the minute you step in there are so many things to go after what are the three or five things as a leader that you focus on like your life depends on it <laughs> yeah and it's um it's probably um always an evolution um i think we're always peeling back the onion but i i was uh so there's a really good author and book um name is liz wiseman and she wrote the book mm -hmm. multipliers and that's what immediately came to mind yeah uh, i don't know if you've 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 had an experience i'm familiar with it okay yeah. <laughs> um so you know, the idea uh, for everybody, the idea of uh, the book multipliers, uh, the idea of a multiplier is somebody who amplifies the talent around them. So if you think about um, think about the best leader that you've ever reported to, how did you feel? Right. Mm -hmm. um, most of us will probably think about, man, I felt empowered. I felt like I could do anything. Um, I felt motivated. Right. I had all this energy, you know, and I brought my best self to work. And that's exactly what I think a multiplier does, makes people, all, everyone smarter around them. Now, if you flip that around and, you know, you think about the opposite, like the worst boss that you've ever had. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, well, you, some of those you just antithesis of what, what I just said, right? You're probably drained. You probably, you know, didn't feel motivated to go to work. Uh, you didn't bring your best. You might have even been scared to actually speak up in environments. Yeah. And you probably didn't do your best creative work either. So I think when you compare and contrast that, and then as a leader, uh, what the book really taught me was, is what they call these kind of accidental diminishers. And this is really a test of self-awareness. I mean, a lot of this as a leader, I talk about vulnerability, but I, vulnerability is a, is really a sign of courage. If you, you know, at least, at least for my yeah. interpretation of Absolutely. it, and then yeah. self-awareness is a, as well. And so, you talk about, hey, what are the three to five things, you know, mistakes or things as a leader that maybe I would I would share for those blazing the same trail, really go in and think about your accidental diminisher. So I'll, I'll give you an example, because uh, for a lot of people, your, your, sometimes your strengths can actually be something detrimental to the organization, which is why they're accidental. So if you think about, uh, for me, um, I was I, a rescuer, right? So a rescuer is someone who who jumps in, helps the team, gets them to where they need to go faster, um, protects the reputation of the team. For me, very a, a very motherly kind of characteristic. The compassion comes out. That's great, right? That's what that's what I do. We got stuff done. But go look at the flip side of that. Now you have a team that's dependent on you. Maybe feels less empowered. Can't work as quickly without your guidance. Maybe it's not as creative. It's like whoa. Okay, well. As a leader, I've got to go learn to not rescue the team, to let them struggle, to let them maybe even fail. I make a lot of references to parenting because parenting is the same kind of challenge in terms yeah. of this patient, yeah, right? I also have the uh, the challenge. I'm an idea person. This is that competitive engineering side of me. Uh, I love to bring up ideas uh, in meetings on ways that we could go solve the problem at hand, which is great. But if you're always that idea person in the organization, your team might be chasing 10, 15 of your ideas and you're diluting the focus. It goes back to the, maybe why I started asking questions like, hey, what problem are we trying to solve? Because exactly. I realized myself, I have the tendency to actually take an organization to the extremes by all the energy that yeah. I have. So that's kind of, 
that's a thing for me. Um, those three to five things is man, learn, figure out your own self, build that self-awareness, know where all your best intentions might be actually creating the opposite effect in the organization. And then be honest with the team in terms of what you're doing, because yeah, you know, if I'm going to stop being a rescuer tomorrow, after I've rescued the team, let them know. Like, hey, guys, I'm working on this. I've been jumping in way too much. And I, I, you guys got this. I'm going to empower you and help you, but I'm not going to, you know, come in until you ask me for help, right, moving forward. So those are some key things I learned. I, I wish I would have known them a long, long time ago. <laughs> long time ago, yeah. Wouldn't we all, right? But I, the, the last thing that you said, it, I, I resonate. I mean, I resonate with the, the, the miniatures. I love the idea. Um, but it's... Sometimes we, as leaders, we're in our own mind and we expect our teams to read our mind, right? And you said, like, if, if you're going to change or make like a 45 degree turn or a 90 degree turn, let, let them know. And one of the things I learned um, kind of right after you and I worked together mm -hmm. in, in my experience afterwards is the power of repetition. Like sometimes we, we, we have a plan in our mind. We, there's something that we can do. We say it once, we put it on a on a spreadsheet or on a PowerPoint, we tell everybody once, we don't talk about it anymore, and then we expect everybody to absorb it. And, and people are sitting in very different places all the time, right? So I took as a habit that I repeat things over and over when they are like big, big rocks over and over again throughout the week, the, the month, the year. So people start getting it by the power of repetition. I, I wonder if that kind of jogs your your imagination or your memory, do you empathize with that or? or oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I think there's even science around this. Like you have to repeat things over seven times before yeah. people actually are able to digest it or, or realize it's not just another thing. Uh, and the, it's called extracting the signal from the noise is kind of what I, what I call it. Yeah. So no, absolutely. That, that, that resonates a lot. All right. So I want to move now to, your your second second line leadership hmm. experience. Uh, you, you had people, you you direct individual contributors, but before that, let's do a little bit of a palate cleanser. <laughs> and I know you're a lean practitioner. So if we can in a few seconds just tell the audience what is lean, how do you apply it in your job? Because for some people it's this like abstract idea. Uh, but would you like to talk about that? I yeah. know you do, but yeah, <laughs> just no. share how, how it helped you in your leadership role and yeah. in, in, uh, journey. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons maybe I'm so passionate about about lean, um, you know, comes from kind of the, the Toyota way, you know, way back when. But because as I started to learn this, I was part of you know Fortive, which built lean through the lens of what they call the Fortive business systems, yeah. and it's essentially a um, it's a set of continuous improvement tools. And it's also a framework of, of problem solving. So a lot of it is, is we, I, you heard me mention it before, it's called like common sense rigorously applied. You know, if you think about um, a commercial problem, you know, that you're trying to solve, you know, really defining the problem statement, right? I think I'll, this is, this is why I, I, I asked that, that question in the beginning is because if you can't identify and define the problem statement, and not just qualitatively, but quantitatively, like, okay, we're trying to grow, you know, 50 million in this region with, you know, with, with these products, right? 
um, it's really hard to align teams and get focused uh, around what it's going to take to go achieve that goal. And then the other piece of that is when you are you know, trying to achieve goals, what are the biggest places of impact? So we mentioned before, there could be hundreds of different things that you can do, but how do you go focus on the things that are going to get you to 80, 90% of that goal or solve 80 to 90% of that problem? So a lot of lean, we call it continuous improvement, but a lot of it's a framework of thought to really drive focus and prioritization and organization and align goals and teams together. And I think I, that's why I love it so much is because it's, it's, a, it's a vocabulary as much as it is right. a mindset that you can use across teams because to your point on repetition, holy cow, we have so much noise coming into our lives all the time. And, the time, yeah. and teams can only absorb so much of what you're, what you're, you're talking, you're speaking to them about. And I've always said like 90%, I think of all problems are typically communication related because people either misunderstood or they didn't understand, or they said, well, if they bring it up again, I'll do it. <laughs> if not, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because that, yeah. that yeah. change is, that change is so hard. So, um, I love lean because it gives a very good, uh, mindset and framework to how to go get teams rallied around common problems with, with a strong focus on prioritization. And it's a vocabulary that any team can learn pretty easily and then start using to communicate across teams. So that communication, that telephone game yeah. actually gets a little bit easier. No, fantastic. And I, again, I, I enjoyed, like I, I didn't have the chance to kind of completely get soaked in, but one of the things I, I and I'm very framework oriented in my job. I like, to use frameworks for almost everything. And one of the things I normally struggle when I come into a team is, is getting people signing up for the use of frameworks. Some frameworks accelerate. Mm -hmm. Some of them are like, oh my God, I gotta, I gotta use these. I, I like to be more creative. I'm more the creative type. And we have that tension, right? Mm -hmm. And I know where you are now and probably in other experiences, there was a process of adopting lean, right? So can you talk to a little bit about your own tools to implement change? What are the things that you do that have been effective for you to implement change? And, and this is going to be the last one before we land on, on the other experience of second line leadership. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I will, I will say to your point, like there's always the, the fad of a new methodology, right? And people make tons of money probably off of all, you know, creating a new methodology, course, yeah. a new framework, you know, lean as, you know, as a framework and model for organizations, it really has to be driven tops down. I, I think be, because of it being also a, a, a management tool as much as it is as a, as a cultural tool and, and lean is definitely a, the cultural aspect. So definitely encourage people like um, if you're trying to build a new framework or methodology, get your key stakeholders aligned to that. There's so many failure yeah. modes around just trying to build up new methodologies that never never really grasp there's i used to call like the land of orphan SaaS tools as well all those great ideas and great tools oh, yeah. never get integrated just because stakeholders weren't aligned or or the problem wasn't big enough to to get the organization rallied around but um, but to your question on on change management right which i think I, I love this because in fact my team just this week i put them through three hours of a change management course because we don't teach change management. Sometimes you get some leadership training, yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, maybe, you know, you, you, you get some, like I mentioned, some of this lean training, but um, there's very few organizations that have been a part of that have actually said, no, we're going to teach change. And I think in organizations today, there's not one organization I know that's standing still and not changing or not transforming in some way for their, their org, the market, for their customers, for their growth, and really learning how to go through that change management with your team as a leader is not only so critical, it's a big failure mode for organizations, why they fail or why they don't achieve their goals. Yeah. Um, and there's actually a really strong, um, there's a bunch of different methodologies, but a lot of them start with some of the things we talked about, which is really aligning the team around that common goal. Like what's in it for me? I mean, most to your, you, you mentioned before, oh, you, you, we put the big goal out there and then well, I don't know why the team didn't accomplish it. Right. It's like, I told them yeah. to go, to go do it. Most yeah. people, <laughs> most people and, and me included everybody the psycho the the psychology you know how we operate as humans is to resist change we like homeostasis it's the reason why if i'm out running and i'm not a good runner but my body tells me stop running <laughs> because i really yeah. it when you were resting there uh, on the couch yeah. right yeah. so using a change management process taking teams down this journey of what's in it for them what happens if we don't change being sure that they're co-creating and co-owning the solution. I think really as leaders, it's one of the biggest responsibilities we have is learning how to drive change management. And I, I still learn new things every day on how to bring teams along faster and, and create better followership. I, I love the the fact that you use co-create many times. And that's another distinctive trait that I remember from you about, like, it's not my idea onto you. It's not your idea onto me, but it's it's like we are we are generating as we go, and I, I distinctively remember when you moderated our first team meeting, where you know you, it was very clear that you were deploying um, a, a skill set to to co-create very skillfully. All right, yeah. fantastic stuff. Um, let's move on to to your experience as a second line leader mm -hmm. today, so or or third line leader. So you yeah. you had your first first few experiences as a first line leader. You learn a few things when that experience of a second line leadership came and, and now that you had a little bit more foresight, did you prepare this time or it was another tap on the shoulder? <laughs> uh, so this was, um, this was about 10 years ago. I had been a sales leader, you know, ultimately a named account sales leader. I had, uh, at my first job as a frontline leader at about, you know, 10 salespeople underneath me all in the yeah. same office, right? I could walk down, I could talk to them, bring them into a, to yeah. a room. Yeah. And then an opportunity came up to ultimately take over the entire Western US uh, sales territory. So, you know, eight different sales offices, you know, different functional teams. And I had a little bit more time to prepare because there was a more robust interview process. You know, I, I was getting, you know, guidance from some of my mentors at the time in terms of putting myself in that role and, and what would what would I need to challenge myself, develop myself to be able to get there and learn faster. So I definitely had a, a bit more time to at least prepare psychologically. Right. The process being like okay. 30 days from actually shifting from one role to the next. Oh wow. Okay. But but I I would say that uh, and I and I've actually used this when I'm when I'm coaching and mentoring others is I tip and they're going for bigger roles. I typically ask them, well, what do you what do you think you're going to be challenged, you know, the most with? 
you know, how do you think, you know, this role differs from your other role? You're going to get a new boss. What do you think your boss's priorities now are? And how does that differ from your, your prior boss's uh, priorities? Because you're going to have to manage up. And then the biggest thing I, I, I struggled with early on was span of control, which is, which is why I, I brought up where my team was going to be located as I didn't have a team all sitting in one room where if I right. said the wrong thing, I could be like, oh, very quickly. Oh, God, I screwed that up communication wise. That's not what we needed to go do. And, and I had a lot of quick feedback loops go down the hallway, correct everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now I've, I've, I've left the station and my team's sitting on the train platform going, is she going to stop? Um, and she's way out there. So, <laughs> So I had to create new feedback loops and new communication channels because the span of control, I think, is just a huge failure mode when you're leading teams, especially teams that are in different locations, different functions. It's definitely one of my biggest challenges stepping up into that role. Excellent. Yeah. And, and especially as, as times get more or, or teams get more and more remote, I particularly now working with a fully remote team. And I, yeah. I think you, you probably hard too right so um or or to a large extent it it's a it's a shift in 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 what type of muscles you need to use to to move the team what was like if you could point a difference between managing or or leading i like leading individual contributors versus leading leaders what was that transition like like what did you find challenging um what what did you find easier maybe I think, well, some of it, I had to look through the lens of what my role was, right, with managing leaders, because I had had their role in some context. And I mentioned before, I was a, I was a rescuer. <laughs> so one of my biggest places in terms of making that shift was making sure that my leaders felt like they had the autonomy, they had the empowerment. Uh, and they had my trust uh, in terms of driving their teams because some of that was as I, I knew a bit about myself. My tendency might be to still the artifacts of my prior role and go right into their teams and start helping them solve problems. So yeah, part of that transition was again recognizing where my accidental diminishers might might come into play exactly. with, with these yeah. leaders. But then as well, I think you know some sometimes we as leaders we we forget to give the teams the clarity they need in terms of what's kind of expected uh, of them and what their roles really entail. Um, so one thing I do, um, Leo, and I can't remember if I, I shared it with you in, in, in the time we were, we were working together, but I have my leadership philosophy. I think I think I might have. Um, yes, you did. Yeah. You did immediately. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's my personal leadership philosophy. Here's how I think about building teams. Here's how I think about developing teams. Here's what I expect of the team. But here's what I expect of you. And so everybody, we start with this level playing field in terms of a little bit on my style and, and my values as a leader. And then I also have make sure every leader has what I call excellence in role. That's not only for them, it's also the level set for me, because if I can't properly describe what success looks like for leaders, imagine how they're going to try and go do it if they're, you know, if they're just all the different leaders in the organization are left to create what they think good looks like. So those are just two really critical things I started to adopting when I got to the leader of leader roles is, is and some of that, again, helped me pull away from my tendencies to maybe di right. diminish teams as right. much as it was to help them understand what, what great looks like for them. So 
just just to summarize the the two important things because i think those are not not even gold nuggets i think they are tungsten <laughs> nuggets or whatever is like the next thing above gold it's it's clarity of what is expected it's not how to do it is not my value but it's just what is expected of the role of you yeah so my leadership philosophies you know they go much deeper into you know, culture and talent. Um, you know, I want people to, to, to think big. I want people to uh, be uncomfortable, right? That's where you have the most growth and learning is being uncomfortable. When I talk about how that translates to what I expect of people, um, I expect people to own and be responsible, have that, that sense of accountability and drive. Yeah. I expect people to come with a, an attitude of what I kind of call the art of the possible, right? We spend a lot of time, I talk about this kind of admiring problems <laughs> versus actually actioning problems. It's like, oh, that's a really tough problem. Yeah, we've been struggling with that for a while. Yeah, here's all the things we tried and didn't work. So I expect people to be coming with more solutions than problems to, to the table. And yeah, and I expect them to, to create an environment where, where people want to come and bring their best selves to work. So these kind of, call, I call them safe, inclusive environments for the team. Um, so I expect that, I expect that of everybody, yep. that's what you would see big drive on accountability, uh, that cu natural curiosity, right? That, yes. that problem solving. Mm -hmm. And then obviously, you know, creating environments where people can bring their best selves uh, to work. That's great. And, and again, I, I think it's, it, it puts people in a position where they can actually, they can actually execute within those boundaries and also you know, know when they're not executing on that boundary. That's and then, and, and is that translate to excellence in the role or, or is excellence in the role different? So excellence in role is a little bit different. So uh, what I talked through was more kind of my leadership philosophy, a lot on culture, yeah. talent, what right. I look for in people and what I think builds great cultures. Equally, I tell people, <laughs> you know, here's what you should expect of me, like the, the transparency, right? You know, the authenticity, you know, the sharing, the communication. And I ask people for feedback. Where that gets translated to excellence and role is really going more into, and in this case, we can use like a regional sales leader uh, as an example of a specific role. And what you would find in that is, you know, typically I always start off with some sort of measures because these are very measurable roles. Of course. Um, yeah. So here's, you know, the measures and yes, there'll be financial and, and growth measures in there, but I expect everybody on the team to build, develop talent and have a successor, right? How many, you know, how many teams have you come across, Leo, where there's no successor for, you know, for the person, the person's been enrolled for five, 10 years. Well, yeah. you know, my expectation is, is that people are building talent. If you're a great leader, you should be able to develop talent and have someone ready to go. You should be thinking about how to obsolete yourself, right? So you can move on and the team can move up. So it goes into, into specific details across you know, everything from the expectations on building strategy, building talent to things like executive presence to how you how you how I expect you to show up internally and externally in the organization. And then I take that excellence and role and most most companies have some sort of performance management system. Right. Yeah. And I translate them exactly into, you know, smart, measurable goals. So when you go through those checkup checkups on a quarterly basis, you have a document that clearly out outlines what's expected with absolutely yeah and then you can connect that all the way through your checkpoints 
And you can also have a meaningful conversation, which is, hey, I'm noticing some of these leadership behaviors. I'm seeing that through the lens of you don't have a successor in role, right? So you can connect yeah. all these dots for people and there's just nothing's lost in translation um, in the process. Stacy, I love those two things. I, I, I think probably that's one of the biggest messages for the audience here on on how a high level leaders like you kind of operates. And, and I hope everybody can go and start crafting that for them. So they start, because it's not like one thing that is static, it evolves. You said it at the beginning, it, it evolves. That's right. um, so we're seeing the runway, we're about to land. Uh, we're about 40 plus minutes in and, and <laughs> I, I, I abuse your energy and I really appreciate it. Let me, I always try to close with, a little bit of a kind of landing question, which is if you look back in your life, um, in those formative years as, <laughs> as, a, as a young person, and you can pick um, an experience maybe that informed the Stacy of today as a leader that, that kind of instills some values or some behaviors do you have something that comes in mind and just take a few seconds to think through if you want what, what immediately came to mind um and it wasn't like you know i was you know the top cookie seller from a girl scout troop um it was so i i think i referenced before i was i, I consider myself a competitive engineer kind of a competitive problem solver so i played a lot of sports uh growing up so you know softball volleyball tennis basketball um soccer um you name it i just really enjoyed especially team sports yeah and i remember and i'm you can't see because i'm sitting down but i'm not the tallest um i'm like five <laughs> five but i loved volleyball um and i always wanted to be a spiker and because i like you know that that impact i, I love that feeling so as much as i tried to improve my vertical um i could not <laughs> I could not get to the six foot people on my team and, and get that position yeah. of a striker. And you can imagine it's like, oh, it's like, you know, some those things, it's like, no matter how hard I try, like, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm physically limited. And that was really challenging for me. Cause I think up to that point, right. it was like, you know, I could, I could get over any, any challenge. And, and so I actually took a beat and I was like, okay, so I'm not going to be a striker. I'm not going to block at the front line. But where could I really bring my strengths to this team uh, in a different way and apply myself? Uh, and I actually, um, through a lot of practice, uh, I became a really good server. In fact, I became the best server on the team. And at the time, I probably didn't didn't realize it because I was just you know so driven and 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 wanted the team to be successful. But as I look back, I think about that experience in terms of like really understanding. Okay, where are your strengths, right? Where are your limitations? Where can you be a best service to the organization and really doubling down in those areas? I mean, this is really a team sport, whether you're in sales, commercial product, engineering yeah. services, whatever it is, everything is a team sport. And you probably have a collection of 10 to 12 people that are the most critical for your team to be successful. And I go back to that volleyball experience and I say, well, you can't, everyone can't be a spiker. Everyone can't be a blocker because you need people to defend. You need people to serve, you know, you need yeah. people that can lay up the, the ball and, and, and set the ball in, in a perfect way. Uh, and so I think about that a lot now with in, in new ways as a leader, which is okay. You know, 
you know, here's someone who closes incredibly well, right? Deals. Here's somebody who can do business development and, and, you know, really understand customer value. And then how do you position people out there, these great athletes you have so that the whole team can be successful, but also bring that awareness to them. Because, you know, for me, it, it took me a while. I wasn't, I wasn't going to be a spiker. It's like, but Stacy, you could be an amazing right. server. You could be the best server. Yeah. Um, and you're yeah. probably better at that because, you know, your vertical is way too low. So yeah. <laughs> that's a fantastic story of resilience and, and vulnerability. And I appreciate you bringing it up and, and also open, open up, um, Stacy. So can you share as we close down just briefly without any details, like what, what do you do today? You, I typically introduce my guests yeah. in an off voice at the beginning, but what do you do today? Are you where people can find you? Where are you more responsive through, et cetera? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I am uh, currently the chief commercial officer uh, of uh, our GE grid software business. So this is part of yes. GE Vernova. And essentially what we do is we develop and deploy software that keeps the lights on every day. So it's a mission and purpose driven focus. And what I love is with the energy transition happening, uh, this focus yes. on renewable energy, so bringing more of that onto the grid so we can hit our net zero goals. So uh, very exciting uh, place to be, uh, very rewarding and, and purpose-driven work. And yeah, we're, we have our hashtag change the world, and I feel that every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you're making a tremendous contribution. So as a way of saying thank you, I want to Kind of take a couple of seconds just to celebrate you as a leader. Um, it, it, it made a tremendous impact, even if we worked for a few months together. Uh, to me, um, I know the people I stayed in touch. Uh, they they have probably the highest opinions about a leader that I've heard um, in my trajectory. And and what you've shared today is going to be of enormous value to maybe the 10 people that listen to my podcast or, or the, or the 20, but, um, I know that through this medium and having you here, we've already made a contribution. So I thank you very, very much. And it's been a treat for me personally. Uh, well, I, I love what you're doing, Leo, because I mean, I, I think we, we stand on the shoulder of giants, right? So everything that I'm yeah. sharing with you, I've learned from someone else. And I love that yes. you're finding ways to scale the reach and the power of some of the hopefully what is good wisdom uh, that can be used outside yeah. of here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Leo. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like this or any other episode of On The Journey podcast, please subscribe, like, or comment in your favorite podcast platform. This episode of On The Journey's idea, writing, recording, and production was created by me, Leo Rodriguez, and it was edited by Martes Multimedia, owned by Ricardo Urdaneta. You can find Martes Multimedia or Ricardo Urdaneta through Upwork.